0: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast
1: is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, Rabid Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, and by The Barrel Club in Oak Lawn. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau, and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck.
0: Welcome into this pre Thanksgiving installment of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC 5 Chicago. And with me, as always, is the one and only Pride and Joy of Homewood, Illinois, Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the Locked on Blackhawks Podcast. Jay, first of all, happy Thanksgiving Eve to you. I know this is the uh, biggest holiday of the year on your calendar. And uh, I'd imagine that you have your Thanksgiving stockings up and you've got your <laughs> pilgrim costume ready. How excited are you for the big feast tomorrow?
1: It's good. I've been training for uh, Thanksgiving. Like many people will train for a marathon or, you know, something like that. I'm training for Thanksgiving, got my extra loose pants on, added some elastic to my socks and to everything else. So I'm ready to go. Yeah, this is Fat Guy holiday number one, and I'm very excited for it. We're actually hosting. I have to defend my MVP crown from a turkey bowl. It's going to be a very busy day for me uh, tomorrow. So I'm excited Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, I'm especially thankful for you, uh, and not to get sappy and everything, but uh, for your support when I launched the uh, Lockdown Podcast. You are like, yeah, dude, go for it. I know lesser partners would be worried about it and concerned about it, and you embraced it, so I'm thankful for that, and for our five years together, man. It's crazy. hmm Five years. Wow.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously I'm thankful for you as well. Uh, I've been wanting to host a podcast for a very long time. And the fact that you were willing to kind of take the leap with me and like give me a co-host that not only could provide, obviously, your extensive Blackhawks knowledge to kind of have some really good discussions about the team, but all the other things that you bring to the table. You're always working with our sponsors and you're always good at coming up with these like great ideas for events and the sound quality of the show is a testament to your professionalism and just want to say i'm thankful for everything that you've done for this show and for me you know personally and professionally and then of course thankful for all the listeners that have uh, come along on this ride with us and again not to get overly sappy but we wouldn't be doing this stuff without you guys so thank you all very much we very much appreciate each and every one of you
1: and speaking of events uh last podcast we sort of teased that something special might be coming up and uh, it's actually happening. It's happening on Monday, December second. I know it's short notice. This came together very quickly, but clear your calendars. Get a load of this. We're going to be at the Barrel Club, forty nine ten West one hundred eleventh Street in Oakland. That's Monday, December second. Uh, the event starts at seven. We're going to start doing a pregame, uh, you know, sort of Q and A around seven fifteen. We'll talk during the intermissions, and then we'll do a live podcast when the game's over but listen to this 88 cent bud light and 312 drafts 88 cent appetizers and anyone in a cane t-shirt or jersey or whatever will get a free shot of any of the barrel club's private label spirits there will also be goose island and bud light giveaways so join us at the barrel club again 4910 west 111 street Uh, go to the madhouse podcast facebook page there is an event page there for all the rest of the information. No tickets necessary; just show up. Uh, it's going to be a really great time. The puck drops, Hawks versus Blues at the United Center at seven thirty. So, come hang out with us. You don't have to be there, you know, start to finish. But if you want to wander in at some point and hang out with us a little bit, we'd appreciate it. It's going to be a good time, and we're very much looking forward to seeing you and your friends and your family and everybody out at the Barrel Club. It's going to be a great time barrelclubillinois.com club illinois.com if you want to join your website and start doing some research on that free shot you're going to get <laughs> mm. i promise you you're going to like it
0: do we get free shots if we don't wear patrick kane stuff because i don't know if i own anything patrick kane related yes i know the
1: owner we'll be fine
0: Okay, yeah. I just wanted to make sure. I was like, oh, man, I want to participate in such a great deal, but I don't own anything. Whatever shall I do? Yeah, we'll... apparently I got a guy.
1: Yeah, you got a guy. You're good. You could just, like, strap a Patrick Kane bobblehead yourself. That counts. It's
0: a good point, point. I do have a couple of those. <laughs> yeah,
1: see, there you go. All right, well, now that we've gotten the uh, important stuff out of the way, like being sappy to each other and uh, talking about our Barrel Club event on Monday, we have some hockey to talk about. The Hawks with maybe... Their most complete performance of the season last night, beating the Dallas Stars, a red hot team, three to nothing at home. Corey Crawford was dynamite. I thought. I mean, really, the whole team was pretty good. I think the first two minutes, I was a little bit worried because the Hawks didn't have the puck at all. But as the game went on, they really sort of. I don't want. They didn't dominate the game by any means, but they they were in control of the game. I think that's that's a good way to put it.
0: Well, I mean, it's hard to dominate against a team that's been playing as well as Dallas has been. So the fact that the Blackhawks, I think, controlled the majority of the game, maybe didn't necessarily dominate it. I thought that they did an excellent job of uh, suppressing a lot of quality chances from Dallas. They only ended up with 32 shots on goal in the game. And I just keep coming back to this, that the Blackhawks in two games against one of the hottest teams in the NHL allowed them one goal. One goal in two games is pretty stinking good. I know two to one shootout loss, but that doesn't count to me. Like they allowed during actual hockey playing, (laughs) they allowed one goal to this like really strong offensive Dallas Stars team. And I think that's not only a testament to obviously the continued quality play of Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford that we – really need to continue to amp up our praise of both of those guys because they are putting together a heck of a season so far. It's not only a testament to them, it's a testament to the team's honestly like their defense and their back like their forechecking especially in the neutral zone has just simply been better since they made the transition to that uh you know their new old system so to speak right they've had some moments where they've looked good defensively and it really kind of came to the forefront uh last night and that went over dallas well
1: you even saw and i want to you mentioned both goalies and i want to get there but but real quick you even saw like eric gustafson making good defensive plays there was a play behind the hawks net where he was in a race with a dallas forward and he was able to reach around the forward, which is a very polite thing to do, especially in the holiday season. Gave the old reach around and poked the puck away and cleared the zone so much. And I know that like the idea of like work harder, try harder is a thing that's that's said in sports a lot, but in hockey, it actually does make a difference. By skating a little bit harder or battling a little bit harder in the corner, you can win a puck and have good results. We're seeing a buy-in from top line to bottom line from top pair to bottom pair that we hadn't seen you know up until I I wouldn't even say like you know yeah they started winning when the Vancouver thing started but you're starting to see a pattern here and yeah they lost you know they lost to Tampa they lost to Carolina they lost in a shootout to Dallas but I still think even in those games you are seeing the formation of a system. You're starting to see them figure it out. You're starting to see them understand that it works when they stick to it. And I was so impressed with their zone exits, their speed through the neutral zone, and their passing was just on the money against Dallas. So um, I don't have a lot of of negative things to say about the game at all. Like There were a few, like, uh uh-oh, sort of moments, but that happens to any team in any game. Back to the goalies, I think that, I may have written off Corey Crawford a little too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fully healthy. I think the fact that these guys are sort of splitting time is good for both of them. I think when we thought about this signing of Leonard, we talked about riding the hot hand, right? Whichever goalie is playing better, they get the net. What Jeremy Cowden has done, and I think to his credit, is he's done a basic split. And I think both guys have benefited from the rest. You know They're both fresh every time they start. I think it's been managed very well. And the fact that they're pl- both playing so well helps, obviously, because you feel confident with e- either of them. But so far, so good with the go management plan. I'm really happy with it. And look, the results speak for themselves.
0: Yeah, I think originally I think what had ended up happening was that Leonard did get a little bit of extra time because he was the hot hand. He was playing a lot better than Corey Crawford was at the beginning of the season. But you definitely have to give Jeremy Colleton credit because I think the temptation would have been there just to say, "Okay, this thing is done and not to treat it as a constantly evolving thing. And what's ended up happening is that when Corey Crawford's gotten those opportunities and say back-to-back games or in instances where they play two and three nights, or when Robin Leonard had the uh, little bit of a collarbone knock, it, it seemed to me that when Crawford started playing well in those instances, Colleton realized that, Hey, he's kind of like started to get dialed in. Maybe I need to adjust the, uh, the play a little bit to have them be a bit more of an even split. And I have to give him Honestly, some credit for that, because that really did take the willingness to say, hey, this is going to be an evolving thing. This is not a static thing. Robin Leonard didn't win this job outright with his hot start. And I think it's been to the Blackhawks benefit that they've been able to get both of those guys in there and more importantly, to keep them fresh. Because, you know, at some point, if they do reach the playoffs, they are going to end up picking a starting goalie. That's just how that ends up working. But you're giving both of them adequate opportunity to win that job. And I'm glad that Jeremy Colleton didn't throw the, uh, you know, the towel in too early on Corey Crawford. And it's really been to the benefit of the team.
1: No doubt. And uh, look, we've been quick to criticize Colleton when he deserves it. And there are certainly times he deserves it. Um, but this is something I think he has done pretty well. And despite being forced to change his system, now that it's been changed, he's stuck with it. Another thing I liked about the Dallas game is the Hawks going to the third with a 1-0 lead. And my fear was, okay, they've got this lead. This is a really big game for the Hawks. They're going to sit back, and they're going to play the prevent for 20 minutes, and it's not going to work. Instead, the Hawks outshot Dallas 15-9 to in the third period. So instead of sitting back, they remained aggressive. And that, to me, was a big key going into the third period, and I was thrilled that they were able to keep doing that and they were willing to keep doing that, excuse me, because um, it works. When you sit back, the, the old The old football adage is to prevent defense just prevents you from winning, right? And it's an old cliche, but it's sort of true, especially against a high-power team like Dallas. They got a lot of offense. They're really solid defensively. You knew they were going to bring everything they had, but the Hawks didn't allow that to happen because they maintained the puck. Loved it. Loved the third-period strategy last night.
0: And I love the fact that even though they weren't able to uh, solve Kudobin very often with some really good opportunities during that game, they never really let up. Like, it was one of those things that you were just kind of waiting for the dam to break. And sometimes when those things happen, you get kind of worried that, oh, like they're letting Dallas kind of hang around and hang around. And eventually, you know, the the luck, the fortune will swing the other way. The Blackhawks were honestly relentless last night. And I think that goes to what you said about the third period, that they did not – let Dallas up off the canvas at all. I thought that was a really it was an entertaining hockey game yes. for me personally. I really enjoyed it. I would not mind seeing Dallas and Chicago square off in the first round of the postseason if it comes to that. But I have to give the Blackhawks a lot of credit for the attitude that they carried with them last night. It wasn't quite the same result, I think, as the revenge game against the Predators when they chased Peccarina and they really made the Predators look bad yeah. in Nashville. But I thought it was incredibly awesome that they took a really tough loss on Saturday night that they probably should have gotten both points out of. And they turned that into one of their best all-around efforts of the season in a really good win against a really good Dallas team.
1: Absolutely. I think you know coming out of last night's game is the best I've felt in a long time. Because even in those games where they were winning... If you, you know, the, the Nashville game, the Vegas game, the Toronto game, yeah, they won those games, but when you looked up and you went over the numbers, you looked sort of deeper into the game itself, you saw like, okay, they're still getting hugely outchanced, hugely outshot. This was a game where, and this is two games in a row now, that the Hawks have won, I think Tampa too, maybe it's three games in a row, where the Hawks have won the possession battle. battle. And it might be the first three of the year. I'd have to go back and look. But you're seeing them become a, and it's funny, when they were bad, I was like, can't they just be like normally bad? Does it have to be horribly bad? Can't they just be like a normal replacement level NHL team? And I think at this point, they're beyond that. Now these next two games, Friday and Saturday, both against Colorado and then Monday, our Barrel Club event against St. Louis, they're big, but now you've got three of the four points to start this stretch. And you could breathe a little bit. Had you lost Tuesday or had you not gotten a point on Saturday, it adds this whole dimension of stress and worry to the Colorado and, and St. Louis games that are coming up. I think now they can sort of play their game. And look, if if they play those games like they played last night, they're going to be in really good shape and they're going to be in most games they play. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I felt really good about it. It's funny, by the way, you mentioned it. Last night's game just felt like a continuation of the other Dallas game. It was like identical. The pace of the game, just the way it looked on TV, aside from, you know, the uniform colors, didn't it have a feel like they just like sort of just resumed <laughs> the game from Saturday. It just had I, such I, a familiar feel.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably why I mentioned the playoff thing is probably just, like, subconsciously, it felt like a series. Like, it felt like an evolving narrative. It didn't feel like two isolated games. It felt, like you said, a continuation. I absolutely agree with that. And I'm glad it didn't, like, devolve into, you know, a bunch of, like, face punching and stuff. It was a pretty clean-played hockey game. And the Blackhawks, like you said, just they showcased – uh, some of the improvements that they've made defensively. The offense is looking a bit crisper, even though they're obviously going to have some issues. If uh, Dylan Strom's going to miss some time, we can talk about that a little bit too. Sure. But I thought that they got good performances from up and down the team. Alex Debrinkit looked awesome last night. Brandon Sod continued his strong play. I thought Matthew Highmore looked pretty good last night in eight minutes. Like he didn't get a whole lot of action, but I still thought he looked pretty solid. I liked that they gave Kirby Doc a look with some of the team's higher end talents at the center position with Strom out. Just a lot of a lot of good things that they could potentially build on. And yeah, if they had lost that game to Dallas last night, you're talking a four game losing streak going into really tough games against Colorado and St. Louis like that, the whole mentality shifts with a game like that. And you go back on the offensive rather than the defensive. And as we've seen from the Blackhawks, they're a better team when they're being aggressive. And I think that that's been proven time and again this season. And I know that I've been very adamant about trying to stay as even keeled as I can about this thing. I'm trying not to get too down, trying not to get too up, but that. I can really only think of positives. They can emerge from a game like last night. And if they can carry that momentum over, then they have a really good shot at grabbing some more points against some tough divisional opponents.
1: Yeah. And, and I want to go back to something you sort of, you sort of led me to there. Um, you, you worry about this team's defense and, and we knew going into the season that that was going to be an issue, but a really good way to protect a porous defense is to have the puck. <laughs> and and that's what they've been mm-hmm. doing lately. They've had, Again, possession advantages, I, I I said it to start the show, I said it on Locked On this morning, the game felt in control. There was never a moment where, I, and of course, Dallas got their opportunities to score, and there were some really great saves made by Corey Crawford, but at no point, especially during the third period, did I feel like, oh wow, the Stars are really starting to take it to them, they're really buzzing. No, the Hawks had control of that game for the better part of what, 55 minutes, I would say? Um, And look, when the smoke clears, the numbers look pretty even. Hawks outshoot them 38-32, which is, you know, in this day and age, it's kind of a toss up with as much offense as as is in hockey now. But it just never felt like the fire drill that some other Blackhawks wins have felt like. This Mm -hmm. one just felt like a nice, clean, solid win. Was it the third period
0: against Toronto that it felt like they had a million shots and that the ice was completely tilted the opposite direction? I can't remember which uh, game that was. But, yeah, you de- you definitely get that vibe sometimes. Like, oh, God, the dam's about to break. Oh, God. And we never had that feeling last night. It, it always felt like the Blackhawks, even when Dallas was pushing back at them, it never felt like the Blackhawks blinked. And that
1: was was a good feeling, man. It was. Yeah. I every so on the lockdown podcast, I do the pluses and minuses every of every game and I was like, I don't know, a minus was that um Obi-Mata had a turnover. <laughs> that was like really all I <laughs> could come up with. So, yeah. Uh by the way, the Toronto game, um I just went back to Natural Stat Trick to take a look. Uh third period, the Hawks were out sh- uh, shooting they were 35% in Corsi so yes yes, yeah i was right yeah it had it definitely had that feel it was 18 shot attempts for toronto and 10 for the hawks so Mm. but a lot of those toronto ones were were really you know they were they were tough chances to stop
0: yeah and what a what a wild ride this season has been and we're barely a quarter of the way through it
1: yeah i know it's it's look they're nothing if they're not entertaining you know, at least, you know, when you want, you're going to sit down to a Hawks game. You might not know what you're going to get. And it's, it's entertaining. All right. Why don't we take a quick time out? next segment? I want to get into uh, Dylan Strom and Matthew Highmore and a couple other things. Uh, Jeremy Cowton sort of updated the situation on Strom after the game last night. Maybe some people missed it because they went to bed like normal human beings when the hockey game ended. First, I want to tell you about our sponsors, Rabbit Brewing and Homewood, Illinois, Incredible craft beer, incredible craft ales. We've talked to you about them for, what, uh, two seasons now? They've been an incredible partner to us. This will be their last uh, episode of the Madhouse podcast. They are uh, looking to expand their business, and they are really reeling in any sort of excess spending. So we appreciate their support over the years. We are still huge fans of Rabid Brewing. We're still going to talk about them. We love them, Uh, but we want to thank them for the time they've given us for them once they've given us for the great events we've had there so thanks to ray and tobias at Rabbit brewing go there support them it's a great business one of my favorite local businesses one of my favorite breweries in the state so go visit our friends Rabbit brewing in homewood illinois the time has come for you to drink mythological level craft ales visit the southland legend Rabbit brewing in homewood illinois gonna take a quick time out and come back with some thoughts on dylan strome and robin leonard's struggles in the shootout all that and more next on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is Jay Zawoski. James Neville, my partner at the NBC Tower downtown today, recording from work. Appreciate that, James. Do you have a softball team? You got a hockey team? You got a, a corporation that needs some outfitting? Visit our friends, Triple Threat Sports, 708-478-6090. Chris and his crew there We'll hook you up. If you're going to our event at the Barrel Club on Monday, we will have some Madhouse Podcast t-shirts for sale, courtesy of our friends at Triple Threat. So uh, show up and support the podcast, and we'll see you there. So 708-478-6090. Email chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports. If you can wear it, they can make it. So if you missed it yesterday, Dylan Strom takes part in the Morning Skate. He talks to the press after practice. Everything seems fine. Then in the afternoon, the Hawks send a press release saying that Dylan Strom has been placed in a concussion protocol. Matthew Highmore draws in, plays eight minutes. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but after the game, here's what Jeremy Cowan had to say. This is a quote. He came in this morning, and I didn't find out until later morning or early afternoon that he wasn't feeling great. Obviously, that's a serious thing. We want to be careful. He got evaluated by doctors, and we pulled him out. He also said that uh, Strom was honest about it and came to them, said he hadn't been feeling great and wanted to let him know, uh, which is the right thing to do. you That's what you want a young player to do uh, or any player to do. If they're not feeling great, now that we know so much about concussions and concussion treatment, the fact that Dylan Strom took it upon himself, to be honest, that's a great thing. He's an asset. They need him long-term And uh, I'm glad he stepped up and spoke up when he wasn't feeling right.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And that's the one thing I think that we really should take away from this story is that Strome felt comfortable enough with the Blackhawks medical staff to come to them and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. Like, I... I personally didn't notice anything like a miss about Strom's game. Not really sure when this would have happened if it was a practice injury or an in-game thing, but so it, it can be, I think a bit of a challenge sometimes if a player is not being upfront and honest to actually like kind of figure out what's going on with those kinds of head injuries. And I'm glad that he was willing to step up and say, Hey, I'm not feeling right. And it is way more important for him, both as a player and more importantly, as a person to take that time to heal up, to get right. And the Blackhawks, you know, they'll they'll make the lineup adjustments that they need, they need to. But the most important thing is for uh, Dylan to be healthy. And I'm glad that he felt comfortable enough to do that. And I'm glad the Blackhawks have kind of established a culture after some kind of questionable uh moves in that department in previous seasons with other players that have kind of gone through concussion issues I'm glad that Dylan Strump felt comfortable doing that
1: well for those that don't know Jeremy Cowton's career was cut short because of his struggles with concussions so he's ultra sensitive to it he knows the dangers of it he knows that it can quickly derail an NHL career so I'm if they're you know not that it's a good thing that, that he's been through that obviously but now you have a head coach that's aware of it that's not going to be like a hard-ass, like, come on and play, you're just dinged up, you just, you know, you got your bell rung. Cowton knows. This is a guy who is aware of the dangers of concussions, so he's going to act appropriately, uh, at least I hope so, and it seems to be the way he's acted since he's taken over as head coach. So now that it looks like Strom's going to be out a little bit, I would expect at least this weekend, you're going to see Kirby Doc get an opportunity as a second-line center, which is great to me. He played 15 minutes plus on Tuesday night, and I think um, not one of his better games, but he wasn't bad by any means. But having him out there with Kane and Dabrinka can only be good for him. Um, And then you saw Matthew Highmore come in, play in the fourth line, and provided in just that short amount of time some speed, some physicality. I like what Highmore brings to the lineup, and I think that should be the guy in as long as Strom is out.
0: He looks solid fundamentally like I was not like watching a newborn deer trying to skate and like you can't really focus on anything because your head's just going all over the place. It's been a while since Matthew Highmore has played in an NHL game and I thought he acquitted himself nicely. It wasn't like he lit the score sheet on fire. I think he had like maybe like one shot on goal or like one hit. Like barely made a dent in that regard. But I also thought that as a fourth line uh, player, I thought he looked just fine. And I think maybe he'll get a little bit of additional time moving forward. But if he's in that kind of eight to nine minute a game sweet spot, I think that's absolutely perfect for him. I think what you said is way more important about Kirby Doc ending up in the top six. I think that this is a really good opportunity for him to kind of audition his skills and to kind of showcase what he can do as a top line center. And if you can maybe get him a little bit of special teams time as well with uh, Strom out of the mix, the Blackhawks didn't really have They had What I think one power play last night
1: and they scored right away.
0: Yeah, they had one power play and they were barely shorthanded. So I think that it was a good it was a good opportunity for Doc to get those even strength minutes. I still would like to see him get a little bit more time on the special teams. But this is you know, you're, you're into your NHL career now. And I think this is a good time to start kind of uh, just kind of showcasing the skills that you've been able to put together through your first uh, time through the NHL. And I think that he, he could be in a really good position to do some good things on special
1: teams if they give him that opportunity. Yeah. And I saw he was in the lineup, uh, the special teams lineup anyway, for the power play in practice on Monday, he was on the second unit with Strom, Nylander sod and Seabrook So it looks like if they ever have a two minute penalty, (laughs) the Hawks scored 53 seconds into their only power play on Tuesday night. So we didn't get a chance to get out there, but it looks like he's going to get that shot. And now, especially with Strom out, you're going to see Doc out there. Um, So, yeah, that's a good thing. And I want to see him. He still has those games where he looks like I don't know how to I don't even really know how to put it into words, but where he just looks a little bit off. Like he's maybe over skating or he's a little slow to a puck or a little slow to a reaction. And these are not things that are uh, troubling me at all. It's, It's a symptom of him being a young and inexperienced player and adapting to the skill level he's playing against for the first time. But there are those moments every game. There's one or two moments from Doc where you're like, oh, my God, look at that. There was one last night where he sort of stick handled through traffic and got himself a shot on goal and. Uh, I you know, the good far away outweighs the bad, but I think getting more minutes playing with better players will be a really nice thing to aid in his development going forward here.
0: Yeah. And he's definitely getting a lot of uh, publicity now is like kind of one of the, you know, top, you know, obviously one of the top players from this year's draft class specifically, but even the last couple of draft classes, it seems like a lot of uh, people around the NHL are kind of starting to take notice of him a little bit. It seems like, and it's kind of interesting to just kind of see the way the public is looking at him. Like, yeah, he's not probably gonna, you know, be in the top two or three in rookie of the year voting right away, but. He's still acquitting himself very nicely for being an 18-year-old kid, and like you said, there are these moments in every single game where you can see that flash, that flash of a potentially special player who's got a really unique skill set and could really give the Blackhawks a really great weapon in their top six for many, many years to come. And I know there was a lot of criticism when they made the pick of Kirby Doc. I know that, you know, we kind of were a little bit uh, perplexed that they didn't take Bowen Byram with that third pick. We thought they really could use the, you know, defensive push. But we also kind of recognized some of those skills that he had kind of put on tape in juniors. And it's really good to see both as you know a person you know I kind of noticed these things I should feel good about it (laughs) but also just as a hockey fan to kind of see him showcasing those skills at the
1: NHL level too well I, I have to remind people the day we found out the Hawks had the number three overall pick you and I did a podcast and you identified Kirby Doc immediately as your guy that was the guy you wanted so you're ride or die with Kirby Doc from here on out no matter what happens that's your guy speaking of rookie of the year by the way if things continue the way they are, it's not going to be Jack Hughes. It's not going to be Caco, It's going to be Kale McCarr, the 21-year-old defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche. You're going to get a good look at him this weekend. Again, defenseman, 21 years old, in 23 games, has 7 goals and 18 assists for 25 points. He's a plus 7. McCarr is Adam Boquist with a matured defensive game. Oof. So look out. for kale mccarr on the avalanche and now they have him and they drafted bowen byram so there's their top pair there's their keith and seabrook right for the next 12 13 years that's gonna be scary i mean that's if if look mccarr's already panned out i'm ready to say yes he will be a good nhl player (laughs) i don't think you know the sample size we have of 25 points in 23 games is a fluke uh, and if Byron becomes anything close to what people thought he was going to be, look out for that tandem of defensemen. Uh, the other story from this week we have to get to is Robin Leonard. And we're going to do that after I tell you about our friends at Mariska's in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street. They're family owned and operated since 1933. You've heard us talk about them since almost, almost day one of the Madhouse podcast. Maybe day two. The poor boy, the... Yodel Burger, which is James's favorite, the twice-baked potato, the giant onion rings, all the great things that Mariska's offers, not to mention their incredible craft beer selection. Go visit our friends at Cre- in Crest Hill at Mariska's. They're closed only tomorrow, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So go visit Mariska's on Friday when they reopen from one of their four days off of the year. Get yourself a poor boy. Cover yourself in garlic butter. And you will be a happy, happy person. All right. So Robin Leonard, the big story, I guess, big, if you want to call it big, coming out of uh, Saturday's shootout loss was his struggles in the shootout. And it was illustrated before the shootout began by the broadcast team. And then he didn't stop any in the shootout. And then after the game, he was asked about it and uh, you know, said, it's not hockey. I need to adjust to this. I need to get better. And then the next day went on Twitter and was just sort of legitimately asking for advice. And during the game, and I want to get your take on this, James, Pat Foley started to ask Eddie Olchek, knowing that Leonard struggles, is there any instinct to say, put Crawford in for the shootout? And before Foley could get the thought out of his mouth, Eddie Olchek said, no, you don't do that. You don't bring a cold goalie in the shootout. Got an email this week from Jack asking us, if that's the case, why not put Crawford back in the locker room, warm him up for 10 minutes if you think the shootout might be happening, and get him warm for that time? It sounds a little crazy and unlikely, but if it's going to be as bad as it's been for Leonard, why not? I don't know. It's worth a shot, right? I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, I, it worked weird for Julie thing. the
0: Cat Gaffney in the second Mighty Ducks movie. <laughs> yeah
1: damn it well i have no argument now <laughs> so by the way i ran the numbers uh over the last five seasons uh over the last five years robin leonard has faced 40 shootout shots and has stopped 15 for a 37.5 percent save percentage cory crawford has stopped 20 of 30 for a 666 save percentage so that is significantly better for cory crawford um so he's definitely the better shootout goalie. I just think let Leonard figure it out. I think he's gonna work through it. I think he's gonna find a way. Shootouts happen so rarely. I I really don't think it's an ideal. I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of the backup goalie. Do you really want to come off the bench cold, and and have the game in your hands? I don't know. It's just Leonard should just go into butterfly and hope it hits him. You know, (laughs) that's basically, you know, what?
0: exactly what I was going to say is I think that there are times where in sports we always are trying to kind of come up with like an innovative thing or, you know, something that's kind of off the wall. Like, hey, I came up with this idea. See me coming up with the idea of having Eric Gustafson playing as a forward (laughs) like that kind of thing. But in all seriousness, the way I look at it is that all this is telling me about Robin Leonard. Just be more aggressive in the shootout, man. Go for more poke checks. Do whatever the hell you have to do to at least like throw some doubt into the minds of the shooter. Yeah, you're gonna get beat occasionally when you do stuff like that. But it's not like he's not getting beaten now. Like th- he's obviously got there's something about the shootout that he's just not particularly good at. And it's such like a a niche thing. Like, how many shootouts are they gonna be in a given year? Like five, six, right, if that. Like, I just I don't see it being a big enough issue that you need to really like pull together like a brain trust committee to really like figure out what they need to do about it. I say just leave Robin Leonard in there and let them figure it out. And if they lose a point or two in the process, I know it could potentially cost them a playoff spot. But if a if a lost shootout is going to cost you a playoff spot, you probably weren't a playoff team to begin with anyway.
1: Well, and look, you just said it in five years. Leonard has faced 40 shootout shots. It just it just doesn't happen that often. But I I am curious. I would love to sort of pick the brain of an ex-goalie and say, all right, you're the backup. The game's going to shoot out. Is it reasonable to put you in the locker room and have guys just start, you know, have the trainer or whatever just start taking shots off you to see if you can get ready? I I think it's a little far-fetched, especially considering it's not like a pitcher in the bullpen. These guys are in full equipment. They're wearing skates. It's not like they can go back and ride the exercise bike or something like that. Uh, It just I don't know. The fact that Eddie Olchek shot it down as quickly as he could for a guy who's played as long as he had, he's coached, he's been a broadcaster forever, for him to immediately dismiss it, I think that tells me everything I need to know.
0: He's just a traditionalist, my friend. He can't think outside the box.
1: Well, one of my favorite things about this was everyone's like, oh, you know, Leonard, it's it's a mental thing for him. Uh, Robin Leonard has kicked a huge addiction problem He's uh, he recovered from the brink of suicide. Uh, he's dealt with mental illness very, very well. He's come back to lead the league and save percentage this year to be a finalist for the Vezina last year. I think of all the things that Robin Leonard has faced during his career. I think the shootouts <laughs> are not going to be the thing that derail his mental health. I think he can handle it. And he sort of laughed about it, too. Like, come on, I, with all the crap I've been through, I'm not going to I'm not going to lose it over a shootout. Mm.
0: it's just a coin flip anyway it's a glorified coin flip it's an exhibition and you know what
1: frankly if they had three points for a uh, regulation win we'd probably see even fewer shootouts just saying yep well here's a great example by the way of the coin flip all right let me so because i ran these numbers i went year by year so 2015-16 leonard uh let in four goals and saved two crawford let in three goals and saved six Okay, the next year, Leonard was over eight. <laughs> so, the Crawford was—he uh, saved twelve and only let in two. But then the next year, Leonard stopped sixty percent. Then the next year, he was fifty-four percent. Then this year, he's twenty percent. Like it really is a coin flip. It really is yeah. like it's the only thing I would say if I had to look at Leonard's technique and evaluate how he handles a shootout. I think he comes way far out of the net. I noticed that, that he sort of attacks the shooter and then backs up. And all that's going to do is, as you're skating backwards, is keep your five hole open because you're moving your legs to back up. And that's where both of those shootout goals were scored against him on Saturday. So I don't know. Just he's a huge guy. Stay in the net, take up space and hope it hits you, I guess.
0: Be like that Geico commercial with the uh manatee or whatever that
1: was, the <laughs> yeah, walrus yes. that was standing in the net. It's a that, walrus! This is ridiculous. That's hey, that's a brilliant strategy. Yeah,
0: hey, you know, if they, if I could have a uh scene mammal playing in goal, I sure I certainly would do it. Who wouldn't?
1: I mean, that's just smart coaching. All right, we have to get to uh the Akeem Alou thing. Uh that we definitely need to talk about that. First, I want to tell you about our friends at Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe. They're located in Burbank and in Darien. Chuck'sCafe.com for menu items, specials. The specials change from location to location, so make sure you go there. Check it out. They also have events running all the time, trivia nights, karaoke, all that stuff. Chuck's is a great place. Incredible barbecue, incredible Mexican and Cajun food. You just want a burger. You just want some wings. You're going to have a hard time finding better versions of any of that uh, somewhere other than Chuck's. So go check them out. Burbank, Darien and ChucksCafe.com. And, of course, any of these places you visit, tell them the Madhouse Podcast sent you. Okay, if you missed the story, and I don't know how you could have, in the wake of the Mike Babcock stories that have come out since his firing in Toronto, former Blackhawks prospect Akeem Alou spoke out about his time in Rockford and his experience with current Flames coach Bill Peters. Peters was Alou's coach in Rockford and Alou told a story of his time there and Peter using the N-word at and around Akeem Alou on a number of occasions. Um, I have to qualify this, and I have to say this because it's fair. When Alou was drafted by the Blackhawks, one of the big things about him was there were some character concerns. Now, that said, that's often the case, when a minority hockey player is drafted and that's terrible and that's a systemic problem not just in hockey but in society but especially in hockey if a guy is not immediately like deferential and like i'm all for the team if a guy shows personality and he happens to be a minority that can be frowned upon i'm not saying that was specifically the case with the but it's something to keep in the back of your mind josh hosang is a good example of this Peters, after him and Alou clashed, sent a letter to the Blackhawks, Stan Bowman and John McDonough, saying that he wants Alou sent to the ECHL. Alou never told, and this is according to Alou, never told the Blackhawks about the incidents with Peters because he's a young kid, he doesn't want to blow his chance, he doesn't want to rock the boat, and we've seen how victims are treated when they come out and speak out uh, let alone, it's bad now. Think of how bad it was ten years ago when this all occurred. Yeah. So there's a story. Um, the other day, TSN read a story that had a pair of teammates corroborate a loose story about the uh, Peters using the n-word against him. Peters was not at practice for the Flames on Tuesday. He will not be behind the bench for the Flames on Wednesday night. And Keith Olbermann on Twitter. Tuesday night said he expects Peters to be fired. That's sort of the talk around the league. So there's all that. I know it's very confusing. I know it's frustrating. Oh, one more thing. Former NHL player Michael Jordan, not that Michael Jordan, the other Michael Jordan, he said that Peters would kick and punch players on the bench when he played for him. So there's been a lot of stories coming out about Peters, too. So it's an ugly situation. Um, I don't... I, I It's hard for me to hold Bowman or McDonough responsible because they were never told. And again, that's according to Akeem a loose said I never told anyone in the organization. So if he's saying that, and if he's not blaming the Blackhawks, I, 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 find it hard to do that too. That said, if they did know and people that did know in the organization, if they did and didn't say anything, they should be fired. That's it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. what you're Well,
0: thinking. I also th- I also think it should be a really good learning opportunity for the Blackhawks about how to, you know, deal and treat with young, treat young players and just human beings in general. I think the Blackhawks definitely need to take a look and make sure that culture doesn't still exist in their locker room. Like, I think that's probably the biggest thing that the Blackhawks are going to be able to do about this whole thing. I think the. The answer for Calgary is pretty obvious to me. You fire his ass. And I personally would be totally okay if he didn't end up back on another NHL bench. He clearly has got some serious uh, power issues that when he's empowered to work with these uh, men at the NHL level, he clearly is not emotionally mature enough to handle it if he's using racial slurs and physically assaulting players. And by the way, Rod Brindamore did confirm that this happened like that the the punching and the kicking on the bench did happen with bill Peters. And to me, once that comes out and once we have all this other like corroborating stuff about the things that he's done, that investigation by Calgary seems to me, it's going to be pretty obvious that he needs to go. Yeah. And I get like innocent until proven guilty, but, but you know what, when you have all of this smoke, there's fire there and they need to do the right thing. And they need to decisively and immediately kick Bill Peters to the curb. And he obviously deserves it. And I feel terrible for guys like the and all these other guys who have gone through this kind of stuff. There was also another part of that TSN story that you didn't mention that he actually refused to participate in a hazing ritual when he was in the junior hockey level. And he was basically, like, you know, shunned for that. Like, his teammates and, you know, the coaches who were aware of it apparently thought that this was some character flaw that he decided not to stand naked in a bathroom. Like, that that kind of nonsense in hockey, like, people are going to say, oh, it's just boys being boys. Nope. Hazing is bad. Yep. Period. End of sentence. There's nothing good about it. It needs to go away. And this really should... I think not just be a reckoning moment for the Blackhawks, but for the sport as a whole. And we really need to start taking these things more seriously and making this environment more conducive to guys coming forward when things like this happen, just because it's always been this way doesn't mean that it has to continue to be this way. And I think that, the, obvi- the obvious first step to me is firing bill peters and telling him to get lost but then the second thing is that long hard look in the mirror and trying to figure out ways to make this sport and the people involved in this sport make them feel comfortable coming forward when things like that happen
1: definitely and a couple of things to consider too uh, kemilou is 30 years old now okay he has got nothing to gain by doing this he's not trying to get himself back in the league he's not trying to grant Sander good attention uh, he's playing for the Orlando Solar Bears of the ECHL. Uh, he's been bouncing around the Swedish league, the Slovakian league, the AHL, the KHL. Alou's bounced around hockey for a long time. There is no end game here for him, as far as like a lawsuit or anything. So he's got no reason to lie, is what I am saying. The other thing is Daniel Carcillo, who has been doing incredible work over the last few years, shining a light on abuse throughout hockey, from the from youth hockey to the NHL to mental illness, to all these things. He's got receipts on everybody. Okay, and and maybe you question Daniel Carcillo's uh, motives. I sure as hell don't. I think he's doing a, a fantastic job and doing great work. But I know this is a tough thing to digest. It's a difficult thing to talk about. It's uncomfortable. I know a lot of people are, and I know, maybe we lost some people here and that's fine because people are like, I just want to watch hockey. I don't want to think about this other stuff. And if that's you fine but it needs to be addressed and just top to bottom society needs to be better but hockey specifically needs to catch up you know they've been they've done a good job with the inclusiveness of you can play but then it's always it it seems like there's always a step or two back when you start to feel good about things so um let's hope lesson learned here let's hope that um i'm confident saying it's true but if true that bill peters is held responsible And uh, I don't know. I don't think there's really much controversy there. If a coach is going to act that way with the racial slurs and the physical abuse, one of those two things is fire is fireable them together, especially when you've got corroborators. You've got a current NHL head coach like you mentioned, Rod Brindamore, saying that it happened. Pull the trigger. Fire Bill Peters. It's time. And let's get back to some damn hockey, right?
0: Progress isn't linear, man. That's the only thing that I did want to add to what you said. There's always going to be setbacks. It's all about how you uh, respond to those setbacks. And hopefully the sport and society and whole can keep uh, pushing forward. And this stuff just isn't acceptable at any level. And I'm glad that, you know, at least for his own peace of mind, I think, I'm glad that Akeem was able to come forward. And I hope that, you know, he can kind of get some closure on this and that he can, uh, you know enjoy his life. I don't really know what else to say. Like you said, he's still playing hockey and I hope he, uh, I hope he's better off for this. Like it's never yeah. easy to be that guy. You don't, obviously it wasn't easy for him. It took him a decade to come forward on this. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that he's finally at that point where he feels comfortable doing it. And hopefully it can spark some meaningful change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thanks to a for uh, for, for anybody who has stepped up when they've been the victim of something. It's very hard to do. Rarely doesn't work out in the victim's favor. They're almost always shunned and dragged and all these things in the hashtag no angel, whatever you want to say, fine and dandy. But uh, props to him and to Dan Carcillo and to other guys who have stepped up and spoken up when things need to be said. All right, back to hockey. The Blackhawks play Colorado Friday and Saturday, and then Monday is our event at Barrel Club. Come out and join us. That's 4910 West 111th Street in Oak Lawn. Remember... 88 cent bud light and 312 drafts 88 cent apps anyone in cane apparel gets a free shot of any of the barrel clubs private label spirits there'll be goose island and bud light giveaways and should be some madhouse podcast swag for sale we'll definitely have bumper stickers we should have some t-shirts so if you want to support the podcast that is a great way to do it we buy our merch with our own money so if we can make some back on that it would be tremendous so join us at the Barrel Club. Check out the Madhouse Podcast Facebook page and Twitter account at Madhouse Pod for more details on the event. With that, want to thank our other sponsors, Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. Mariska's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. And a special thanks to our true friends, Tobias and Ray at Rabid Brewing. This will be their last podcast with us, at least for the time being. Good luck to them and their endeavors. They've got big plans. I'll let them tell you when it's time, but look for big things from Rabbit Brewing. We were so thrilled to be associated with such an awesome brand, so we'll see them soon. Thank you, Rabbit Brewing, for sponsoring us for as long as you did. With that, everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. James, love you, buddy. Appreciate you. I hope you and yours have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
0: You too, buddy. After I get done watching that Bears game at work tomorrow, I plan on uh, joining you in the Stretchy Pants Brigade.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. And we'll see everybody out there Monday at the Barrel Club, 4910 West 111 Street. Come drink, come eat, come watch the Blackhawks and the Blues with us. Talk to you next week.